Hello, everybody, and welcome back to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. My name is Charles, and with me today, as always, is my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friends, Charles. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friends as well, Dylan. And we say friends plural again today because we are joined by one of our dear friends and frequent collaborators, Hannah from Our Pod. Hannah, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for inviting me on, guys. The pleasure is all ours. Our Pod, guys, if you don't already know, is another super fantastic uh, fantasy literature podcast. Would you like to, Hannah, just take a moment and, and let the people know about Our Pod before we move on? Yeah, Our Pod or On Wednesdays We Read is a podcast I do with my lifelong friend, Laura. Mm-hmm. And we do a deep dive into a new book series, One Book at a Time. Uh, we just finished our season one, Shaitan on the Wheel of Time. And now we will be blazing through the Poppy Wars. So nice. we're very excited. You're going from like old school to new school very fast. So we are looking forward to your thoughts on Poppy War. We're, we're, we're big fans and uh, curious to see what you and Laura think about it, especially coming right off a of wheel of time too. That should be fascinating. I think it'll be a breath of fresh air and I can't wait to listen to my backlog FTF episodes on that because I've been oh, saving them. Ooh, there you go. <laughs> see that folks. This is a lovely partnership we have here and um you know, we, we, we've, we have some things in the works with our pod as well, some exciting things that we've said we were going to do for a long time now, or we may actually follow through on those very soon. So, you know, <laughs> more collaborations in the very near future, of course. And, um, you know, Laura can't be here today. She's um, off at the farm, but we are thinking of her as we go into the series. Um, Dylan, you want to introduce this, this, this book that we're here to talk about today? Sure. We're here to talk about The Priory of the Orange Tree by Samantha Shannon. And this is going to be a spoiler-free episode, so you're all good. Yeah, because Charles hasn't even read it, but Anna (laughs) and I have. Yeah, so yeah, this book, it's gotten a a ton of praise. I would describe it as an epic fantasy series, or sorry, epic fantasy standalone. And it's got this beautiful, if, if you haven't seen this cover, Google it, because it's got this beautiful cover yellow with some orange i know barely any orange (laughs) that's a very yellow color i don't see any trees on there i see a dragon no trees but yes there's this dragon it's actually probably a worm right i would uh, guess that was a worm because it's from a very specific scene and that is a worm so yes Um, and it's wrapped around it looks like a serpent like wrapped around this building so uh yeah blue dragon absolutely gorgeous um highly um uh, highly creative great world balance kind of stuff we'll get into that um but i think both hannah and i were pretty ambivalent about it some mixed feelings so we'll get into uh all that today that's well said Dylan. you know it's interesting it's rare we jump on a podcast where i haven't read the book in question it's been known to happen but rarely so i'm looking forward to you know having you and hannah guide the discussion and i'm super thrilled hannah's on here because hannah you were the one that was pushing dylan to get on this book and to finish it right that's how this yes. saga began I am famously someone who just badgers people to see if I can. So 
I was doing a monthly series on my Instagram, Mega May, and I, it was a series where anyone could read a book over 500 pages and it counted. Uh, there were beautiful pictures that people posted with tiny dinosaurs and it was great. But <laughs> one of the main things was I had decided that I was going to finally read Priori after it had been on my shelves for a very long time. And I badgered Dylan into doing it. I got my friend Veronica to start it. Um, she is much better at telling me no than most people. <laughs> and also some other friends joined along with me in this read of Priori. So it was fun. I mean, it was fun to read with friends. The book was fine. <laughs> I know Dylan had a lot of fun posting about it on social media. I saw his mug next to that book cover about <laughs> like 20 times as he was reading it. I knew when he stopped reading it when the post disappeared. Yeah. I, I just posted another picture of it yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally, I'm just forcing it because oh, what can I say? It's a beautiful cover. It gets those likes that I'm after. So I... <laughs> I literally posted a picture of it. I do think it was yesterday. Uh, no, two days ago, where I was instructed I'm moving right now. And this thing's, as Hannah said, Mega May, which was 500 plus page books. This one's over 800. So I had to put together a table that kind of broke and I had to use wood glue. And I was instructed to put a really heavy book on top of the table in order to make, like for 24 hours to make sure it really stayed. And priori, you know, came in handy during that. So threw that on there, took a picture. When you need a really heavy book, we are the people you want to be around, I think, for sure. We got the heaviest books out there. I think I got quite a few DMs from Dylan complaining about lugging around the brick. And I just told him to get a purse because it's great for lugging around that size of a book. So... Hannah's been telling me to get a purse for some reason since like we it's, first started interacting on social media. You're so not this the is only like two years of this. <laughs> Year and a half. Our pod hasn't been around for that long. Fair, fair. <laughs> All right. So should we get into the actual book and not just that it's gigantic? And oh, I also, I should say, I also read to complete your co-host Laura's challenge, which oh, was yes maybe this time, this time like, yeah right yeah yes uh, I keep, keep wanting to say maybe next time but <laughs> it was maybe this time because it was made after a show tune which is also a very on-brand Laura thing she loves musical theater so she did maybe this time which is when you revisit a book you DNF'd the first time so yes this was not Dylan's first time around with Priori no I probably made it like 50 to 100 pages in the first time around is about a year ago. And I'll say a, a critique I had then and, and still have now about the book is it is slow to start. And it's uh, it def definitely felt like I was starting to drudge through it. And back then, I, I mean, I wasn't reading it for the podcast or anything and uh, or any challenges. And I just kind of put it down. And I'd heard such amazing things about it. I was like, I'm going to pick it up again. And this was the chance to complete two hour pod challenges with one, like two needed. Yeah. <laughs> two birds with one stone. And I, I did read the whole book. So I succeeded in both challenges. You You're wrote welcome. a wonderful review about the book. So you really, it's just the gift that keeps on giving. So. Right. You, uh, Hannah, you had reviewed the book as well, right? I did not. I mean, I reviewed it on like my Instagram, maybe. Uh, oh, I have not done that yet. No, I have not <laughs> reviewed it I yet. See, so. I see. This will be my first time, initial reactions. 
Ooh, this is the scoop then. This is the first oh, yeah. look into Hannah's Hannah's thoughts. So, I mean, let's like Dylan said that and let's not delay any further. You since the world has yet to hear everyone knows Dylan's thoughts. He wrote up a whole review <laughs> and everything. Hannah, why don't you give us just like a, a first like a high level overview of what you thought of priori? Let me know as someone who's never read it, considering it coming to you for your opinion. What do you got? Well, no pressure, Charles. <laughs> How come he gets no pressure? I was badgered, as you said. Uh, because I feel like Charles wouldn't be badgered by me. I feel like he would just, I mean, the guy refuses to read Lies of Lock Lamora and he does oh, it as a no. bit. So I feel like he has very hard staying power. So I know when to just like pack up and get out. Well, that's um, different. Sometimes Dylan forces me to dig my heels in. And D- uh, Dylan is unique and like somehow... I'm doing it without even knowing I'm doing it. And now I'm in it too deep and it becomes a whole thing. That, that's his unique talent. But, uh, and I, I'd be willing to, to, to listen to what you have to say. Here. Okay. Well, I would say Priori was interesting. I know that you're a fan of like Wheel of Time and I would say that it has the epicness of it, but it is from a female author. So it has a little bit different nuance. Um, I would say that the characters are all great for backstory and the lore of Priori was probably my favorite where we found out like the history of the different lands and you find out there's of course the north south east west and each place has its own belief system and why and they're somehow like interconnected but not really and so listening to like why people believed in what they believed in and their own lore was probably my favorite part um it is a multiple pov which is also helpful Um, where we get to kind of sit with a different character. Uh, I would say a critique I have is a lot of the characters felt pretty much the same shade of kind of maybe off blue, just because just they weren't as interesting as I would have liked to see them. Mm. Um, But they all had like interesting plot lines. I would say it's more plot based than it is character based. Uh, So we follow the main POV, I don't know if I'm getting too in the weeds, but we follow Tane, I don't know if I'm saying that right, Eid, Nicholas, and Loth. And so it's two men and two women as the main POVs. And they're kind of spread throughout and we're seeing how all of their stories interweave with each other. And then there are dragons and worms and magical orange trees. So that's kind of my big overview and sell to Charles, which is a little bit less pushy than with Dylan because you have to have different strategies for different people. (laughs) That's right. So the orange trees, are they trees that are orange or trees that actually have the orange fruit? Like what what kind of trees are you talking about? That's a (laughs) hard-hitting question, Charles. I know. I feel like that that could be a spoiler. It's the priori of the orange tree. But Uh, Dylan, what is a priori? Because you had to look it up. It's like a nunnery, I believe. Mm -hmm. I, so. did you know that going in no <laughs> <laughs> I mean it made sense because like there, you have like a prioress and that is like the usually the head nun I think but yeah I didn't know it off the top of like my a, head yeah I'm good a small monastery or nunnery that's governed by a prior or prioress there yeah. we go Nailed 13 it. years nice. of catholic school and they didn't teach me that fun fact so <laughs> yeah it didn't come up in hebrew school so much either so. <laughs> So I guess we'll just table the whole orange tree thing. Uh, if we don't want to talk it's about a, it, that's fine. I, I don't think it's spoiler. <laughs> it's, it's, it's got fruit. It's got fruit. Okay. Okay. So it is a fruit tree. Okay. That's good to know. That's all I need but to I know. Don't, 
Yeah, that's, I mean, but it might be like a burnt orange wood, you know, you never know. <laughs> I see, I see. Okay, so Dylan, you put a lot of thought into your thoughts about this book. You wrote a review on uh, Before We Go blog. Um, why don't you give us a little sneak peek into that preview and give us some of your high-level thoughts on the book? Yeah, my high-level thoughts on the book, I mean, starting with the good for me it was, Prose, I think, is absolutely beautiful, a lot of it. And there's uh, this almost epic storytelling style that I would say we're used to a lot of this very close POV when we do multiple POV and a lot of the fancy books that we read, like the Brian in my opinion, one of the best really close POVs comes from Joe Abercrombie. So it's like, then you're just in their head. You're listening to all their like the same phrases they heard themselves over and over again, just in the prose. I would say priority takes a step back almost toward the Lord of the Rings direction of being a little more above the action when it comes to the prose. I mean, it might be a little bit of what Hannah's getting at where the character's didn't have uh, maybe as much substance to them uh, as we might see from an incredible character writer like Joe Abercrombie. But uh, that being said, uh, it does create this really high fantasy, uh, almost like older style of writing, but with much more modern themes to it. And I, I really think if you like the way that something like Lord of the Rings is, is written, you'll you'll enjoy the way that this is. And just some, some really great quotes that maybe I'll get into if, it, if we have time. Uh, world building, really expansive, really well thought out. Uh, I know Hannah said that the lore was the most interesting part for her. I would, I'm not a huge world building fan, which is also part of why I think this wasn't the best fit for me as a reader. But I do really appreciate all the thought that went into it. And I think that, Potentially another story written in this world would be like, if it, depending on what kind of story, could be totally amazing. Because there's all sorts of these like different creatures that are unique and not like anything else that we've seen, uh, you know, like almost hybrids, like half dragons or uh, I'm trying to remember what animals they would be like mixed with, but that was another uh, critique was she would be like, this one's mixed with this one. And then it never gets mentioned again. And I was like, I need to remember which one got mixed with which animal. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah. But there's also cool creatures that just like are not in any other books. And the setting is kind of, I don't know what, it, what you think of this, Hannah, but the setting is very unique and not just in the way that we say sometimes where it's like oh this is a really unique setting for a fantasy book to put it in like an asian inspired setting or something like that which is true and awesome you know we're just talking poppy war a little bit um uh, earlier I, I think that was on the air and we mentioned it on I, the air yeah. i meant uh, yeah, yeah i mentioned we're covering it on the podcast so you're good <laughs> great so it's like stuff like that but i think priority you can't even place really what where it's inspired by it's it's got some of this like classic medieval europe type feeling to it but certainly not entirely that way um so that's cool a, little, a lot of different stuff with that and then for me uh, the characters just didn't completely do it. I really liked one of the characters. Uh, Saber in the Ninth gave me like early Daenerys Targaryen vibes. Yeah, is that, uh... Uh, yeah, I I agree that Saber was probably the most interesting character. I just wish more had been done with her. I thought she had like right. a lot of complex themes that weren't as touched on as I would have liked, but I did like Saber a lot. Yeah, she's got this kind of... 
if I'm sure a lot of folks listening have read or watched early Game of Thrones and it's like Daenerys has this really interesting combination of like uh, fragility but also like this great strength and she kind of comes into her own some over the course of even just the early seasons but it's like that balance is always there and that felt like Saber in the ninth as well um, especially the way that when she interacts with her people, because she's a queen as well, mm-hmm. um, queen saber in the ninth. So she was really cool. I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah. I, I I like the complexity of hers. I don't think any of this is a spoiler per se. I'm going to be careful. I'm not used to not having spoilers, but um, <laughs> I think like she has a lot of complexity with themes on like the lore that's kind of built into her family as the queen of her people and like the pressure she feels to kind of deliver on certain aspects and that's very interesting. Yeah, just I think it's fair to say not what happens down the line with it, but what that pressure is, like the idea that uh, like she's supposed to bear a child in this lineage. Uh, it's considered that uh, they're the ones who are protecting uh, people just by existing. They're protecting yes. people from the nameless one who is not Voldemort. Um, but it's the big know, bad. Spoiler. <laughs> yeah. spoiler, nameless one, not Voldemort. And he who must then, not be named is the nameless yes. one. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so the nameless one is uh, like this, I don't think it's a spoiler at all. Like, no. You know what? giant worm, evil worm that that no one wants to come back and destroy the world. So Sabrin has to have a child. And in this lineage, a child's always always female, I guess I should say, because they're not women when they're born. Um, (laughs) A girl. Um, So yeah, that's basically what's going on. So she's got pressure to do that. She's unmarried at the start of the novel and... Yeah, she's kind of it feels like she's pushing it off and there's a lot of pressure on her on like to kind of own up to what the trajectory is. And it's almost like the like an entire religion is built on her, which is very interesting. So, yeah. And they can only have one kid is another. Yes. Another thing with their lineage. So it's not like she has all these siblings or anyone has it. So you got one shot, you know, Um do not message (laughs) you i like almost was like as eminem said you've got one shot like (laughs) so yeah but thank you for you're welcome (laughs) bringing that into this all right yeah so great character some of the other and she's not a point of view which is i think it makes sense why she's not a point of view just given her role in the story but it does make it kind of a bummer when the best character is not a point of view Yeah. And I think, I mean, a lot of times when you have one of the best characters, some of the best things to do with that character is to see her through the eyes of multiple people, but often we only get her through like one person. And I do think that that is almost a detriment to it because sometimes like that perspective helps where we're just seeing it through one eye. And so it's a pretty limited view of a very interesting and dynamic character. That's a great point, Anna. Not one I considered before about her because it's uh for a character that has so much nuance and has those kind of two sides of the coin it could be interesting to see characters that have really intimate relationships with her where they see some of that 
fragility that we're talking about and then have characters that only see the face she presents to the public and right. we could see how strong in like in contrast she really mm -hmm. is uh, so yeah that could have been cool so should we talk some like world building stuff because I think it sounds like we we're both we we're talking some characters but we we're both really impressed with it I know I gave some of my thoughts uh and it was your favorite was lore so I I just like lore I like little vignettes to like add context to why the world the way is the way it is and like I think one of again there were so many things where I was like oh this is so interesting like Saber and she's so interesting I would have liked to see more and like something about the way each society had like a very specific religion I thought it would have been mm -hmm. very interesting to kind of play into that more if we had like seen Shannon kind of do like almost a critique of how religion can sometimes be used to the detriment of its people. And I thought she kept almost touching it and then she would like yeah. immediately back away. And there was also like some lore that popped up halfway through. And I was like, was this at the beginning of the novel? Because like it almost needed to be foreshadowed more and it felt like it wasn't. And I mean, like I'm terrible with names and certain things. So like added context always helps me place it a little bit better. And I felt if there had been more effective foreshadowing, some of the like big results at the end would have hit me a little bit stronger than they did. Um, but I enjoyed reading about the lore. Um, I have made many jokes about Dylan's comments about how their articles of clothing and how like the world building is so specific that it's like, here's the way the banquet hall looked and here are the dresses they were wearing and here's how they closed Sabrin for the event. And it <laughs> does go into those key details very specifically. And I'm not sure that was always necessary. So I do agree with you on um, that world building. <laughs> but um, yes, and I did ask some friends who they all shot me down where I was like is the fruit like supposed to be a theme because we keep learning about different fruits in different <laughs> lands and Dylan was quick to be like no I don't think it means anything <laughs> I like to think I was nicer than that but <laughs> no no I, I think the way I thought of it was like it's one of those things sure if you start looking for it you can start kind of drawing circles around it but it almost felt like uh I want to say we're giving too much credit, but we're, I just, it didn't feel like something that Samantha Shannon was really driving home at all. And maybe that was something you found in general. Hannah was like, she'd sort of start to touch on a theme. Yeah. And then like the, but the point wouldn't be completely driven home because there's so many things it felt like she was trying to say rather than just like drive well, something like why I picked up on the fruit was she kept talking about fruit and I was like well it's called priori of the orange tree so like fruit has to be something right and then it's like no it, it was just what was in season in the different lands <laughs> like yeah and you're jumping to it's cool you know and sometimes this stuff is true it's like you're jumping to like well like this land had I don't remember what happened but it's like this land has apples and apples in this culture represented that and I'm like I don't know if like the reader is supposed to know what all different fruits represent in different cultures. Yeah. yeah. Can't remember what the dragon was mixed with, but I know that pears, cherries, and oranges were all mentioned. So. <laughs> I thought it was more like an animal crossing type situation where like different places just have different native fruits. And 
<laughs> they and I said each I, other. Yeah, and yeah. I've just never played Animal Crossing, so I wouldn't know. <laughs> that's why I play See, that's Animal why Crossing. You I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had pears, and I was always jealous because I thought they were the most boring looking of all the fruits and the trees in Animal Crossing. And then I see someone with oranges, cherries. Man. Oh, but Charles, you definitely came to my town and grabbed some apples. There's no I way. Definitely, <laughs> we did some pe- apples to pears <laughs> range back in the day. But right. um, yeah, uh, apples were quite the delicacy in my Animal Crossing village. <laughs> and you could sell them for five times the price if they were not native to your town. Right, oh, Charles? And like you could grow five... them too. And apparently, yeah. you don't get to pick which fruit. No, no not at this point. That's a very strange game where it's the just game, like, here's the fruit. Okay, this is your fruit. <laughs> Deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what Animal Crossing was a game, you know, all about hanging out. Well, actually, not the first game. The first game, you couldn't even hang out with other people. <laughs> you could like go to this like N64. Could. No, you could, it was like N64, oh, and you could bring your, or not, N64 sorry, not N64. Oh, sorry. No, GameCube. GameCube. Game yeah. I was like, my bad. Definitely you know, a GameCube one. Hardcore, yeah, hardcore Animal Crossing fans don't come at me. <laughs> it's like, but you could bring your memory card over and put yeah. them in the A and B slots. I love we're deep diving Animal Crossing. <laughs> <laughs> and then you could travel their town, but they the other person wouldn't be there. So I mean, you've uh, sold me on this game, obviously. Now you can get it on like your Switch or whatever, and you can just go on the internet yeah. and meet people and do all that. Much easier now. But this um, episode of Friends Talking Fantasy <laughs> brought to you by Animal Crossing. I wish. I wish we got that Animal Crossing. <laughs> that's a good because you know you can go into great detail on what you're wearing and all this, because that's a huge part of the game too, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. custom clothes and stuff. Yeah, thank you. Bringing thank it back. You. Yeah. Okay. Well, on that topic, <laughs> <laughs> to get it back to priority, I do think one of my main issues with the story was that it's over 800 pages, and I think this could have easily been told in 500 or so. And yeah, Hannah, I, I feel like you're nodding. Yes, I am. I I said at one point I made a joke because of a Starbucks order that it's a venti plot that's shoved into a Trente cup. Like it's it's, <laughs> it's overflowing it's everywhere. Yeah. No, oh no, it's it, Trente is like thirty ounces, and then oh, venti I... is twenty. So there's ten ounces of just pure clothing oh. description in it. It's a, apparently gotcha. a very bad metaphor. I apologize to the podcast. No, that's okay, Starbucks fans, you can come at me. Not the Animal Crossing fans. I don't yeah, know what I'm saying. Can you explain that again with Animal Crossing references? Yeah. Of <laughs> that would help me quite a bit. It's like someone put it into the memory card and you expected to hang out with one of your friends, but you got to their Animal Crossing and you just got to look at their pear uh, trees, which was already an ugly fruit. So why are you there? It's like, uh, you know, a, a 50 gigabyte game and a 100 gigabyte memory card, something like that. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> exactly I thank see. you i see i get it now that makes so much sense now so we've evoked wheel of time a little bit we've evoked animal crossing hannah i'm wondering <laughs> if starbucks. there's any of and starbucks i'm wondering if there's any <laughs> other series authors video games uh, fast food chains that you that kind of uh, you would recommend or kind of are along the same vein as priori like you could compare it to sims which is like what Ooh, animal crossing you know for the computer nerds where you're just world building a lot 
and then you like throw some people together and they all intersect in weird ways, but also not really. They just kind of showed up. (laughs) But there, there are so many parts of this book where I'm like, oh, reading about the book sounds so much more interesting because it's like, oh, there's a queer romance. Oh, there are pirates. Oh, there are dragons. And I'm like, that sounds awesome. I forgot about a lot of those plot lines. So (laughs) I got one, Charles. Okay. Feminist Malazan. Oh. How about that? Feminist Malazan. Like the intense world building of the notoriously abstruse Malazan series. But word of the day. (laughs) (laughs) You Um, did it. (laughs) Yeah. So got that intense world building, expansive kind of difficult to follow which also Malazan can be mm. and yeah but if you're willing to really dive into it and uh, get all that lore try to understand everything it can be really rewarding and I could see that about priori even even I as not a huge world building fan I did find uh, getting into some of that lore and uh, understanding different cultures to be yes as someone who's famously pretty much a novice when it comes to fantasy, would you say like, this is a good read for fans of Malazan or like an interesting read for fans of Malazan? I think so. I think I would be willing to recommend this to fans of Malazan. I mean, there's going to be a lot of differences, but just the number one thing I think for both of those series would be world building. And that's where I'm grabbing onto that. And also one of my biggest difficulties with reading this is the same difficulty I had with reading the Malzahn novels, um, which is difficulty following all the different characters and who they all are, what plot threads they're tied into, all that stuff. Uh, So I think that if you're a big Malzahn reader and that was not an issue for you at all, then you won't run into the same trouble and maybe you'll get more appreciation from the secondary characters and what's going on there. Uh, trouble following them. There is a character guide at the back of the book. I feel like that is something I feel like should be said um, for someone who has a hard time with characters. And to point out that although it is a giant book, there's like a hundred pages of character stuff. So wow, it's a big that's index. fair. It but that like 800 plus is the actual story. It is 807 pages. I want to say. Wow. Yeah. That's a that's a beefy one. I've seen it in the bookstore and I, you know, I've seen Dylan's uh, Instagram pictures. It's massive. It's it's a, it's a big boy. That's for sure. And uh, it, it is kind of intimidating as someone who's considering reading and it's like, I, I don't know, like, it's, it seems like a big hurdle to overcome. But I, I can see how in some ways that's kind of the draw of it for a lot of readers, because I know there's right. a lot of really avid Malazan like readers and fans out there who love those books for that reason. Well, I will say Shannon was also pretty specific about like she didn't want to make this a huge series. Like she wanted it to just be one yeah. big standalone because she always got frustrated when like it felt like authors were making more books to make more books. And she right. felt she could tell this story in oh. one succinct plot line. So it at least was. There's a reason it's 806 to 7 pages. I see. So in your opinion, Hannah, I know we're doing spoiler free, but there was this idea of finality, like the ending, like this was a I contained standalone story, like all tied up, done. 
Yeah. Yeah, I would say that it was all tied. I mean, it's one of those things like, is any book ever all tied up <laughs> if they want to write another right, one? Right. Guess what? They're going to the write another strong, one. At least, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was strong. You know, it had the beginning, the middle, and the end that it needed, but. Same question to yep. you, Dylan. How was the ending for you? Thank Did you. it end strong? I do think it ended strong. I actually think the last maybe 50 pages were pretty awesome. They were great. And it, I almost wish that was the last 150 pages, <laughs> you know, like uh, if she really went for it with that conclusion. Maybe some of what was great about though was it was fast paced and uh, a lot of stuff happening. I don't, I don't feel like I can say much more than that. Yeah. About it. I think the first like, third was a lot of like scene setting that I almost wish had like more of the end kind of brought into this like it just felt like it could have flowed a little bit better yeah and I'll say on the topic of the beginning I would recommend this for folks who are really into court intrigue type stories um I would say so Eid if I'm pronouncing her name correctly is involved in all of this, uh, you know, politicking and intrigue around uh, Sabrin's kingdom. So it's, uh, I think maybe a, a recommendation then for fans of, let's say, the Goblin Emperor. Uh, that's uh, Catherine Addison, I believe. Uh, um, uh, another book that wasn't exactly to my taste, but was very court intrigue focused. And um yeah, it's it's tough because that can, for some people, feel really interesting and intense. And for me, at times, it was like, I, I, like, but everyone's just kind of talking about. Stuff. <laughs> no one's no one's actually doing. <laughs> the, like, court trials, like procedural stuff. No, it's more just like there are machinations of people who are trying to pull Saber in all different which ways. And Eid uh, is a part of that where she is supposed to have a certain amount of influence and she's trying to obtain that. And it's whether or not she is successful compared to everyone else. And everyone has like different um, motivations. And like one of the other main characters was, this is not really spoilery, but like was close with Sabrin as well, but was sent away because of the courtroom intrigue. So there's a lot of setup with like that had recently happened and everyone's talking about it and gossiping about it. And it is very like, I would say it, it's, you know, I said, I like uh, old British novels where not much happens. And that is definitely how the, <laughs> it starts out a little bit. Sounds like politics to me. Am I right? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <it. laughs> so uh, Dylan, I'll turn it, I'll turn it back to you. Is there anything else we want to make sure we bring up about this, about this book for our discussion today? It's hmm. a good question, Charles. I'm not just trying to buy time by saying that. <laughs> Uh, well, I'm trying to I'm trying to give a relatively balanced review because I mean I I gave it three stars and so yeah you Hannah I and we were gave it a hard three stars so yeah so there's things I like things I I don't like um, let's say that uh, we didn't get deep dive into characters all I think all we talked about or it was Sabrin. Um, <laughs> who's not a point of view character so (laughs) yeah let's how about this Hannah if I can throw some to you 
Oh, oh what is, what's going on? <laughs> a little bit of an ad. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of Friends Talking Fantasy also brought to you by Starbucks. <laughs> Try our venti in a trip day. I wish, dude. I wish you were sponsored by Starbucks. Sponsored by anybody, really. Yeah. Just I hope they can hear... Yeah, I hope they can hear that some sort of ad or something went off on your intro, so it doesn't sound like I just digressed into that. Um, all right. Trying to Let buy more time. This. No, not at this point. I'm trying to get to you. So just pass the buck. Uh, let's talk about the point of view characters, Hannah. Like, I know you, you're kind of mixed on them. Um, if we can run through. Yeah, we can run through them. Uh, let's start with the most boring one. We can start with Nick Lace. <laughs> I, had, I had him as second most boring. Oh, well, Loth is pretty boring. Did I get that yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Loth at least had like interesting people around him where Nick Lace was just really boring by himself a lot. And so I feel like Loth at least had like, he had one of the most fun characters with him for a little bit like one of the lightest characters because a lot of these characters were all pretty dour. And so I feel like I enjoyed the people around Loth more and Nick Lace, I was like, yeah, he's, he's there, but like, he's just kind of this outcasted person who used to be a part of court, but was kicked out by Sabrin. And Nick Lace is just kind of on a secluded island doing things and trying to find out some mysteries and things like that. But he's kind of like an older character who's a little bit more jaded with the world and he's like loved and lost and he misses people. And so he's interesting enough. I just didn't really care about what was going on with him as much. I cared about the people. Yeah. I keep caring about the people around the POV characters more than the POV character himself but what were your thoughts on Nicholas? yeah ruse i'll say that ruse felt like one of the more morally gray characters which i appreciated like that gives him some nuance compared to i felt loth was just like the same beat like super noble paladin-y type dude and it's like yeah, like i'm glad you're you're doing the right thing here it's like, <laughs> <laughs> so it's like one character trait ruse at least had like different sides to him and i'll say he some of his scenes were the ones that evoked like the strongest emotional reaction out of me i can't say what but just like he would take act i, I can't say what because of spoilers i i can I, I do remember um there are there's at least one scene where he makes a choice that was more on the dark side of his uh, moral grayness where i was like actually legitimately angry and i think not in a way of like mad at the writer or whatever i was like mad at the character and i felt like it's exactly what uh, Samantha Shannon was trying to evoke in me mm. so yeah props to her on that see you and I like read characters so differently because like Loth is like very much like I am noble watch me be noble but like I often like watching those kind of characters because when they get morally gray things thrust upon them like yes they're going to figure out a way to be noble but oftentimes they're going to screw it up a little bit because there is no good way to be noble in a morally gray situation so whatever you do you're going to mess up and I'm interested to see how he messes it up and like with Nicholas like I did feel like he was morally gray but he's like one of the like sad people morally gray where there's not much like it's like gray for grayness sake and I'm like okay I know how he's gonna <laughs> act in certain situations because like it's this it's just not as interesting because it's usually just like yeah he's gonna be morally gray because you 
you picked him as the morally great character, but if it's a noble person and they have to do something that's going to mess the whole thing up, it's like, yeah, in his mind, he thinks he's doing the right thing, but he's not, and isn't that interesting? I see where you're coming from. And I think like somewhere in between a loft and a ruse is a character like Geralt from The Witcher, who's, uh, that's what you remind me of when you're talking about characters who want to do the right thing, but are stuck in these morally gray situations. I know Charles is a big uh, Witcher fan, so he could speak a little bit better to this than me. Um, But yeah, it's, I feel like Loth isn't complex enough where I'm actually interested in his choices, what, where he's going to go with it. While someone like Geralt, like Geralt, I think does want to do the right thing whenever possible, but he's always getting into those quandaries where there's a, you know, it's a lesser evil type situation. That's like the the famous bit from it. Mm -hmm. I've only no, watched what us. I've seen with you guys on The Witcher, so. <laughs> That's right, we haven't watched season two yet. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't finished season one yet. Oh, we I'm a big fan of Henry one. Cavill. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I forgot, yeah. Wait, we, we were doing um, watch parties of that, weren't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah, point? back we in did, the day. Yeah, way back, back when. That was all I've ever seen of The Witcher, and I was very confused by it. Yeah, that one jumps around a lot at the start there. You gotta, um, you need to see it all come home to get the full context of it. I can see how that's confusing. All right, let's go, let's go, uh, Tanay. Tanay, yeah. He is an aspiring dragon rider in a culture that worships dragons. Um, And yeah, so let's talk some Tanay. And where does she rank among your... (laughs) <laughs> I think POV she characters. I think she almost is the in between of Nick Lace and Loth. Like she is almost like the Gerald or Geralt. Geralt, yeah. Say his name. Thank you. Um, where like I think she wants to do what is right, but she forgets like she has like moments of inherent selfishness that like messes everything up, and then she has like the mm. internal guilt right after it comes. Like, and she's always kind of fighting that, like trying to be the best person she can be with the like fight for who she is and all of it and how much she wants to be a dragon writer that doesn't make very much sense but it made sense in my head no that makes sense and i do think that yeah she's got both those moments of selflessness that can mess everything up and moments of selfishness that can mess everything up so yeah she's a an interesting and complex character i think you get some of these themes that we sort of touched on through her which is all these different cultures that, that Hannah was talking about that all have their really unique religious beliefs. Um, uh, Tanae's uh, part of a, a culture where they literally worship dragons, where there's other cultures where dragons are like, uh, I mean, uh, the, the culture devil. of our, yeah, like Loth would not be happy uh, knowing that w- dragons are being worshiped. And you get this kind of with the idea that maybe the nameless one is going to come back who knows uh, you get this kind of feeling uh and a lot of it from today's point of view that we're dealing with this like almost game of thrones style like the white walkers uh, might be coming back and everyone's just kind of squabbling uh, and dealing with their own the ways that their own culture cultural beliefs and religious beliefs clash with those around them and they can't put it aside just to get what needs to be done done 
Yeah. And that was kind of what I was talking about with the religious themes of like, it felt like it could have gone somewhere really interesting, but it still say stayed pretty surface level. Uh, but the Tanae character was interesting in how she worked with all of that and how like, she also had, you know, a lot of experiences where people would pull her back and question her reality, which I did actually like, cause like not a lot of characters got questioned like in time and in process with the book. And it felt like she was the most who had to like question what was going on around her and everything. And I thought that was interesting. Yeah, uh, I, I feel the same way. I did enjoy her as a character. I think if we got like, uh, like all characters I enjoyed as much as I enjoyed her, I probably would have been pretty, pretty strong on this book. Like I would have yeah. had a pretty positive reception of this book. It's just uh, like when, like 50% of it is characters I'm not overly interested in that then it's like, all right. Yeah. Gotta get and through it, this. it felt like we didn't get enough of Tanae. Like it just, there just wasn't enough of her on the page. Cause she was one of the most interesting people like her and Sabrin were very interesting. And it just felt like she didn't have enough page time as a POV character. I feel the same way. So then lastly, we have Eid who I would say probably had the most page time. She's the one we mentioned earlier, who's a lady in waiting at court, who's trying to conceal a secret identity. Uh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. So then she's the one that we follow through most of this court intrigue. She's the one through which we mostly see a queen saber in the ninth Mm -hmm. uh, rule and what she's like. Uh, Thoughts on who would probably be the main character of this book if I had to pick one? Yeah, I, I would agree that it was Eid. Um, and she she almost like she was almost to me like a similar flavor to Tane, but like not as interesting for some reason. Like just for some reason, Eid doesn't work for me on the page as well. Mm-hmm. I I feel like I didn't get enough of like her motivation. It feels like she kind of is pretty wishy-washy and she kind of moves along with the plot. And I think that didn't work for me just because there wasn't enough like interest in like who she was as a person. And I just couldn't get a hold of her. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, we get a lot of time with her. Um, I think sort of toward the back half of the novel, I started to, she started to grow on me some, but yeah, she's the one with most of the court intrigue. So it was a little, it was a little more difficult for me to yeah. get into her than Tane. Yeah. So um that's pretty much the characters I feel like it probably we should talk a little bit more about the pacing I mean we we mentioned it's an 800 plus page book that we (laughs) thought could be 500 pages uh, but we didn't give a lot excited to to talk about the um, pacing (laughs) (laughs) yeah I well I don't like being negative and that's the more, you know, I wanted to lead with prose is awesome. World building is awesome. All that kind of stuff. But to me, the pacing, that's probably the weakest point of this book. And yeah. where, where are those 300 plus pages uh, coming out of the book? If we could bring it down to 500 uh, for you, Hannah. Uh, yeah. I feel like if we could bring it down to 500, a little bit cutting out of just like the descriptions of the world building, like take out some of the extraneous information. And I almost wish we would had like, I think sometimes if she had a shift in perspective of like what she wanted out of each of the characters, it might've been a little bit stronger. Cause 
I, I wonder if I'm misremembering, but part of the book, I often felt like something would happen that was super interesting for a character. And then she would like take us to another couple people to like rise the level of like, what just happened? And I'm like, no, could you just tell me what happened? Like, I don't, I don't need like two other POVs before I find out what happened. It's, it's a cliffhanger because it's the end of the section. Like, and I do feel like that was where the pacing was off a little bit too. It just kind of felt like again, the whole, she went up to a subject and then she would back away from it. And it like just ebbed and flowed in a really weird way where the pacing didn't work for me on that level. I hear you. Yeah. I had similar experiences. I definitely feel like as you're getting out with the, with the world building and the descriptions, it's like, I think that Samantha Chen has a great talent for the lore, for the world building. I would love to see a little more restraint uh, than mm-hmm. I felt like was shown here. Cause it really does feel like every single time they bring up some sort of like feature from the world, someone there would be like, Oh, you know, the story behind the great, like apple of the whatever. And it'd be like, well, I do know it, but let me know how they tell it in your culture. And then we would get, <laughs> right. <laughs> then we'd get this like long history about whatever, um, whatever widget we're talking about here that won't necessarily be a huge part of the plot or anything like that and on its own sure it's interesting to learn about but at the same time it's just an interruption to the story and it does have that feel even though it's always like my culture talks about differently than your culture and I know that's kind of a theme of this book it did feel like it was people just telling other people like as you know type (laughs) conversations and, and that kind of bugs me. And I think that's where a lot of the extra pages came in. Well, and I, I don't know, because I don't know a ton about fantasy again, very novice, but you two are the friends talking fantasy. Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes, correct me if I'm wrong, but like a lot of like fantasy novels written by men are like historically famous. So like with the Wheel of Time, you have like the encyclopedia of the Wheel of Time or like you have lore that goes into it or like Lord of the Rings, like books have been written about the lore itself. And I wonder if she was like inspired by that. And like Mm -hmm. sometimes as like female writers in fantasy, of course, like Ursula Quay Le Guin and like there have been famous writers in fantasy, Mm -hmm. but if like some women are pulling from those experiences, but sometimes it's like, no, the encyclopedia exists because like, you don't want to read about it in the book itself. (laughs) Not that Robert Jordan had the most restraint himself when it came to world building. (laughs) And it can still be a very big critique of, I've critiqued Robert Jordan very much about the world building, but like, I think sometimes there is that inspiration from like the best parts of fantasy, but it's like in a different portion. I'd say it's for us, especially since we're so character and theme driven over anything else. And some fantasy readers are more world building driven, but we're just not. Uh, For us, we see it as almost like a common pitfall of even the most celebrated authors like Robert Jordan to uh, just get a little too into their own world building at the sacrifice of the things that we like, characters and thematic development and all that. And, And that doesn't necessarily make it worse or better just makes it different for a different kind of reader your wheel of time fans of the world your malazan fans of the world your samarillion fans of the world i love lord <laughs> of the rings but i've never gotten through samarillion i'm sorry it's just literally my friend just has a, read it twice and i'm in, always just oh like God. how did she do that there's a book like... for everybody out there, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> which is great so 
that's what I see. And so when you describe certain things like that, it's like for me, some of our favorite authors are the one who can like get to the scene faster and like yeah. give you enough to understand the scene without having to let's hit the brakes and go into a whole description. But right. I know some readers look for that experience. So it, to me, I see kind of two different worlds there at play. That's fair. And it sounds like priori is more the lines of like, give the people what they want. Like I built all this stuff and let's let's um get into it so that, to me as someone who's never read it this is what i'm getting yeah no <laughs> i asked the question so i'm glad you answered it yeah i'll say too we just spoke to a fantastic debut author sarah el arifi and uh, she wrote a book called the final strife which we highly recommend and we we're talking about this kind of topic with her and she was telling us she's like oh yeah like i have written like basically an encyclopedia about the world that you're reading about here. And you've only seen the bare tip of the iceberg. And she's like, the iceberg's yeah, bigger did. than the one that hit the Titanic. It's like, <laughs> I, but, I remember. <laughs> you're, ah, yeah. So that, uh, that to me, and I'll also say something that uh, we experienced reading The Final Strife is uh, right before we recorded the episode, we'd read arcs that were on our Kindles. And we we're just looking at the book. And I saw, I was like, this is like 600 something pages. Mm -hmm. I said that to Charles and he was literally like, wait, what, seriously? Yeah. Because the book reads like it's about 400 pages. And it's, uh, once it gets going, it is super fast paced and it doesn't get bogged down at all with those like, oh, let me tell you all about this, even though it's not a huge plot point. And we yeah. know Sarah did the work. So that's part of why for me, I'm like, I'm so glad you just gave us the tip of the iceberg because you told a great story in an efficient amount of time. There is, I do feel like a pitfall with a lot of authors is like there's ego involved where it's like, but I built this and I want everyone yeah. to see what I just built and look at how pretty all of this, like it's so built and it's so intricate. And sometimes it's just like, yeah, but like that was to help you write the book. <laughs> right. So um, I think that's what makes someone like, let's say Brandon Sanderson, like a frequent New York Times bestseller, because you can kind of do both. He can yeah. drop you in a very complex world building scenario and have it read like a fast paced action scene. And I think it's those kind of skills that a lot of people who seek out fantasy are kind of looking for both worlds. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, there's authors who lean more heavily towards world building and authors that lean more heavily towards um, action character driven stuff. And then right. trying to toe that line is a difficult thing. And uh, it's, it seems like someone who's looking for more of that, like you were saying, period piece kind of factor yeah. in their storytelling is kind of the school of thought that uh, priori is in currently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although my only experience with Brandon Sanderson is the Wheel of Time. And a couple of his scenes could have just been character studies that he just like wrote out of those. So, <laughs> Yeah, that's an interesting, that's kind of how I got into him too, I think. I think I read Mistborn first. You read Mistborn first. Yeah. I have Mistborn in a box somewhere that's moving with me to my next apartment. So <laughs> there you go. Well, yeah. I mean, to read. Uh, yeah, I was about to get into Mistborn, like this was just a conversation, not an episode about priority. <laughs> We've been on hiatus, give me a break. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We recommend Mistborn. Back to, yeah, it was like 20 minutes on uh, Animal Crossing. <laughs> Forgot how to podcast. 
but uh, bring us back, Charles. What are, what are we talking <laughs> I think we're wrapping up, Dylan. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think we're saying Priori has its strengths in its world building and its lore in its um, wide scope, I guess. Like, and for readers looking for that kind of Malazan effect, that Semerillion effect, that, and to complement that with wonderful prose as well as what I'm hearing that uh, you know if a book's going to be 800 pages long at least it's got good prose so those things combined with a strong fast-paced ending are are, are the hooks for a uh, priori if i got that correct did i learn something today <laughs> perfect summation you were paying attention <laughs> excellent well i mean to me it, it, you know it's a book that's been talked about a lot recently i've seen the cover everywhere and not just on dylan's instagram i've seen it a few other places too and uh <laughs> it's it, it I, I enjoy seeing it popping up a lot and you know i think it's got a really interesting space in the modern fantasy collection i see it in a lot of bookstores now have it and as one of their staple fantasy series so um I can see a lot of reasons why one would want to pick it up. Um, you've tempted me. I'm still intimidated by the sheer volume of it, the weight of it. I don't know if I'll get into it anytime soon, but uh, I mean, if you read me. 50 pages a day, it only takes 16 days. That's all I'm saying. It's not that long if you break it up into bite-sized pieces. That's true. That's true. I'm, I'm assuming there's an audiobook out there as well. Yes, I do believe that it is an it's, audio. It's got to exist, right? It's got to exist. I mean, this is a the person who read it got paid a lot of money, hopefully, because that's a lot of words. <laughs> yeah, in charge, paid by the word. <laughs> I, I almost got paid ten dollars by Hannah to finish this. By the way, I did pay you ten dollars, and then you sent it back to me, and now you said I owe you an hour pod mug. So I did pay you ten dollars when you finished. <laughs> I received this after I finished this. I received a Venmo for ten dollars <laughs> for finishing I priority. I will do anything for a good bit, and I said I would pay him. Ten dollars if you finished it, so I did, and I sent it back because you know I'm good right person. away. And you deemed um, to be, why did you send me money? So, <laughs> well, yes. I appreciate also we I've yet to we're pay Dylan to read <laughs> our books. You know when we're trying to like you know get back onto a reading schedule, and he's like, I'm going to start this book. I'm like, oh, this 800 page monster while we're trying to kick off our own reading schedule. That's very interesting. Uh, but uh, I see that there was a financial motivator involved. We were sponsored, <laughs> I guess you could say, by our podcast. <laughs> this episode of Friends Talking Fantasy brought to you by On Wednesdays We Read Podcast. <laughs> Thank you. But Charles, you yeah. need to talk with Dylan about his business practices because he gave me back the money. So that's not exactly an effective oh, well, sponsorship. We did end up getting uh, an hour plus of your time. <laughs> so uh, we'll t- I'll take that as a win. And um, true. If you're going to consult her for uh, law advice, I assume it's more than $10 for an hour. So I I can't provide legal advice based on my career. (laughs) (laughs) Me neither. What a coincidence. Um, So, yeah, I I'll say, though, I sent it back because we're bringing in all that big Starbucks money from the ad. So (laughs) I didn't I didn't need that $10. Yeah, exactly. We're we're rolling in the Starbucks money, so we can't really uh, complain. But Starbucks, we're rolling in the Starbucks. Oh, there right? we go. Yeah, exactly. Nailed it. Right. Joke is right there. Good job. Very yeah. well done, sir. 
And with that, guys, there you have it. The Priory of the Orange What a close. <laughs> what a close. Um, uh, Hannah, thank you so much for coming on. It's always a pleasure having you and, and Laura on when she's available as well. And uh, we're looking forward to you guys covering the Poppy War very soon. But in the meanwhile, yeah. you've covered a lot of interesting reads lately. You wrapped up all of Wheel of Time. We commend you for that. Like you better than we did. Duck to it and you got <laughs> it done. So um, we're, we're, we're huge fans and we're, and we're looking forward to talking Poppy War at least through the DMs. I want you guys to get those episodes out. We're excited to be covering it. So hope everyone listens in. If you like FTF, you may like us. We're a little bit looser. We definitely have more uh, bits than just one 20 minute of Animal Crossing. That's just a lot of our podcast. <laughs> it's just 20 minutes on Animal Crossing. We were just called rigid, Charles. <laughs> I didn't say rigid. You said rigid. <laughs> Uh, well, but you know, a, it's another pair of lifelong friends talking about books. I mean, what more do you need? And and they're super funny over there. You guys are fantastic, and we love it's it. True. We love collaborating, and uh, this has just been an absolute joy. I mean, I, here I am, knowing nothing about the book, just along for the ride, having a wonderful time. So, really appreciate you coming out, and thank you again yeah. so much for yeah. enduring us all this time. We appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And. For folks who do want to keep tabs on you as you read through the Poppy War and many other awesome novels in the future, where can they find you on this vast web we call the internet? Uh, you can find us at Our Pod. That's O W W R Pod on Twitter and Instagram. You can also find us at OurPod.com. And uh, just thanks for letting me come on to talk Priori. And Dylan, thank you for letting me badger you into reading this book. Glad You're I wasn't welcome. alone. <laughs> and I, I've learned a few things on how to, to get Dylan to read. This has been very helpful. So, <laughs> Dylan, I'm not giving you any money. So don't yeah. <laughs> that will ne- that will not happen. But um, <laughs> at, at least an Instagram-worthy book cover. That does that help. Does help. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just gotta get those dopamine boosts from all the all the likes on all social, the social media. media attention. I see, yeah. I see. I'll keep that in mind when we're picking uh, future FTF books. But for now, yeah. guys, there you have it. If you want a really good-looking cover of a book and a, a real meaty read as well, check out Priory of the Orange Tree. Um, check out our pod while you're at it. Uh, thank you all so, so much for listening. And thank you yet again for coming on. It's always a pleasure having you. And um, yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, as always, Go forth and conquer, friends.